Good morning, church. You know, it's, it's never easy to listen to someone else pray. I mean, there may be a part of you that's relieved that you weren't the one who was asked to speak to God in a public setting, but listening carefully to someone else as they speak to God in a public setting presents its own challenge. And that challenge is this, that when someone else is talking, even when they're talking to God, we suddenly have space within our hearts and our minds to start thinking. And the moment we have that space, we're distracted. We've got all kinds of random ideas that just bubble up to the surface, anxieties, worries, you know, and before we know it, the person's asked us to bow our heads and they've said, you know, dear Heavenly Father, and and we're starting to wonder, well, did I remember to close the garage door before I left the house? And how am I going to figure out my, my packed, busy schedule to get my clothes to the dry cleaners before Tuesday? And then we start to remember that maybe, you know, I told my sister I'd call her last night and I ran out of time and I, I didn't catch up with her. And then I start to wonder, well, how is she doing? How's her family doing? And maybe at that point, the person who's praying has moved away from whatever they've started to say at the beginning of the prayer. And now they're mentioning to God somebody who's sick and and needs healing. And so they name that person. And then maybe you start to think of someone in your life who, who you know is sick and needs healing and, and the person didn't say it. So you start to say your own silent prayer. And then maybe they shift from that to start to talk about our leaders and, and ask God to help lead our nation. And you start to have all these thoughts and feelings about our leaders and the direction of our nation. And maybe there's worry mixed with anticipation. And then maybe the person starts praying about our, our town, Abilene, our community that we live in. And, and then again, maybe you've got different feelings and thoughts about that. And before you know it, you can tell by the sound of their voice, the tone in their voice, that they're about to be done. And then then they're saying, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. And, and there may be a part of you that's, that's just overcome with a sense of, of guilt and embarrassment because you didn't actually mean to not listen to them as they prayed, but but you got carried away with your thoughts and your worries and, and all of those things that came crashing into your, your mind. You know, we, we listen to people pray. We try our best. And, and I know you're, you're probably not always that distracted. That doesn't happen all of the time. But at least for me, it does happen a lot of the time. And yet when I, I find a way to push past those distractions, when I'm able to join my spiritual intention with the intention of the person who's leading my, my heart and my soul in prayer, there's this encounter that takes place, and it is a deep and profound blessing to me. When I'm, when I'm able to actually be present the way we're supposed to be present when we pray together, something miraculous can unfold. Now, I say all that because this morning, we're going to be listening to someone else pray. Now, it just so happens that the person we're going to be listening to pray this morning is Jesus. And while I would love to tell you that means we're automatically going to, going to find it easier for us to pay close attention, as soon as I start to read the words of Jesus' prayer, my guess is we're all going to have to make the choice not to chase all of those rabbit trails in our minds and our hearts. We're going to have to really work to listen to what it is he's trying to say to God to, to how he's opening up his heart to his heavenly father. So as we open up our Bibles to John 17 and we listen to this prayer, I'm just asking you, listen as closely and as carefully as you can. John 17, starting in verse 13. Jesus prays, I am coming to you now, Father, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that those you gave me may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, 
for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, are you still with me? Are we all paying attention together? As Jesus is still praying. And now he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity." then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I was in ninth grade. My youth minister pulled me aside on on a Sunday right after church and said, Jared, I wonder if you'd like to teach class next Sunday. I said, well, I don't don't know. I I don't exactly know what I would teach on. He said, well, you know, it could be anything. It could be your your favorite Bible verse. It could be a story from Scripture you really like. I mean, it could be something that God puts on your heart between now and then, whatever it is. I just want to give you this opportunity to speak to the the other kids in the youth group. How about it? And I, I was nervous to agree to do it, but I felt like because my youth minister was asking me, I needed to find a way to say yes. And so I did. But before I knew it, You know, just about six days had passed, and it was about midday on Saturday, and I didn't have anything that I was really feeling good about that I could teach to my my peers in a youth group class on a Sunday morning. It's not that I didn't have a favorite Bible verse. It's that I had several different favorite Bible verses, and I couldn't really choose between them. And it's not that I didn't know stories from the Bible. It's just that every story I could think of, it just felt like stories that, that my fellow youth group student, you know, my peers, my friends, we'd all heard these stories over and over again. And, and more than that, it kind of felt like I felt like they were kids' stories, you know, Noah and the Ark and Joshua and the Battle of Jericho and Daniel and the Lion's Den. And I couldn't think of anything that I could say from those stories that would seem fresh and new and, and cause them to have new ideas or thoughts. And so I, I just felt that pressure of Sunday morning coming and I didn't have anything. And the panic was building in my chest and I was getting to the place where I was just about ready to pick up the phone and call my youth minister and say, you know what? Just kidding. I, I don't think I can teach this class. I need you to save me from this really awkward, horrible uh, you know, mistake that I'm about to make. And right at that moment, when I was just about to give up, my dad walked through the, the door of my bedroom and he sat down on my bed and he said, well, son, how's it going? And I was honest with him and I said, dad, it's not going. And he said, well, what, what's the problem? And I said, dad, I just Every time I try to think about something that I might share in this class, it just feels like it's old news. You know, I, I feel like anything that I would cover, we've covered a hundred times before, and they're just going to be bored. And I, I don't want to, you know, basically drag them through some history lesson that none of them care about. And really without saying much else, my dad got up from the bed and he walked over to my desk. My, my Bible was open on the desk. I'd just been flipping through it, trying to find something, anything. And he turned to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. And he said, son, I want you to read this this prayer that Jesus is praying. And more than just reading the prayer, I want you to pay close attention to who all Jesus is praying for. 
And I have a feeling that you're going to discover this isn't just ancient history. This is happening now. And then he just walked out the door and he didn't really explain what he exactly wanted me to find. He, he left me on my own to discover it. And as I started to read the prayer, just like we read it together this morning, you know, I wasn't exactly following how this wasn't just ancient history. And then I got to verse 20. That's the verse when Jesus shifts from primarily praying about his closest disciples and followers 2,000 years ago, and he says, I'm not just praying for them, I'm praying for all those who will come to believe through their message. And I realized, I mean, it hit me like a thunderstroke that Jesus wasn't just praying here. Jesus was praying about me here. Jesus was talking about me. Jesus was mentioning me. And if Jesus was praying about me to God the Father, Jesus wasn't just talking. Jesus was envisioning a very specific kind of future for me. And suddenly my dad was right. I realized this wasn't just ancient, dusty history. This wasn't just something that was happening a long time ago. This was something that was still happening. It was still unfolding in my life. You know, anytime someone prays, and they mention you in their prayer, it's special, right? Your, your ears perk up. You, you listen differently from that moment on. And you, you feel seen. You feel cared for. You, you feel cared about. And, and you have this confidence about the future that's strengthened. But when it's Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, when Jesus is the one who's praying for us, it's not just special. It has the potential to be completely and totally life-changing. And, and it's not just that our confidence in the future is strengthened. Our future, suddenly we realize it can be totally transformed. And what a prayer. I mean, as you read what, what Jesus is speaking to God the Father about as he speaks about all of us who have come to believe through the message that his closest friends and followers not only preached then, but they shared it with others, who shared it with others, who eventually shared it with us. When Jesus speaks to God about you and me in that prayer, he doesn't just ask for God to be with us. He asks for God to help us be one. One in spirit, one in purpose, one in identity. And he doesn't just ask for God to help us be one for a single moment. He asks us to live this way, continually, faithfully. He asks for God to help us not only live this way for us, but he asks for God to help us be one. He, he asks for God to help us live this way for the sake of the watching world. And make no mistake, brothers and sisters, the world is watching us. The world's always watching us watching how we treat one another, how we interact with one another, watching how we try to treat people who are in the world. The world is always watching. And Jesus knows that the most dangerous thing that humanity ever has to face is this, this aggressive kind of, of misunderstanding that often takes place between people that just don't understand one another. They don't, they don't get one another. And it's this, this aggressive disappointment in one another that eventually can lead to this ugly separation, this division. And a toxic spirit of division 
if, if it is allowed to exist, it always grows. And then it leads us to this place where, where we don't see people as much as we see positions. And we don't see faces as much as we see uh, opinions. And we don't see friends as much as we see enemies. Jesus knows that this is the way of the world. And Jesus knows that the world is watching the church and the world is trying to figure out from the church if there's a different way, if there's a better way. And Jesus is praying that we will show that difference, that we'll live that difference. You know, the truth is that that Jesus comes to this earth. He's born. He lives. He, He carries on his ministry. He dies and he's raised to life again. Jesus comes to this world not only to reconcile us to God the Father, but Jesus comes to this world to reconcile us to one another, to to put back together the, the broken relationships that we suffer from. Jesus comes to help us believe that we can be people of peace who courageously follow in the footsteps of the Prince of Peace. Jesus comes to show us the sometimes really hard to, to believe truth Right, to show us that if we will choose to keep loving our enemies long enough, eventually they will become our friends. He, he wants us to understand that if we will decide to try to accept and welcome people, we don't yet fully understand that at some point along the line, eventually there'll be parts of those people, aspects to their hearts and their minds that we do understand. Jesus comes to, to knock down every dividing wall. He comes to help open up every Every relational door. He, he comes to remove every social category that we come up with and then we use to, to create this separation that's negative and toxic. Jesus comes, in other words, brothers and sisters, Jesus comes to show us how to be a part of a community where there's this peace that passes understanding. A peace that's present before there's full understanding. Before I fully understand you or you fully understand me, there's this peace that can exist because of Christ. And it is a peace that is stronger than anything that would threaten to tear us apart. As long as we are more committed to that peace than we're committed to getting what we want. The world will never believe that that's possible. The the world will never believe that that kind of community is possible unless they see it in real life. The world's never going to believe it's possible unless someone shows them that it's possible. And so Jesus asks God in this prayer, as he prays about us, he asks God to help us be the church, to be that kind of community where there's peace before there's full understanding where there's unity, even when we we struggle to agree. There's unity even when we don't fully see eye to eye about some things that are really important to us. We find a way to be together. Christ, in this prayer, he's he's asking for God to help us live out this peace-fueled oneness 
this unconditional connectedness in such a way that the world will have its blind and battered spiritual eyes healed and opened up to the reality that it's not just their imagination, that there really is a group of people, ordinary everyday people who are so committed to that kind of peace, to that kind of oneness, that even though they make mistakes and they don't agree about everything and they sometimes let each other down and they don't always find a way to to be good to one another, they find a way to be there for one another. Jesus wants us, Jesus is praying for God to help us be that community in a world, to help people believe that it really is possible. Jesus is praying that no matter what happens, you and I will learn from God how to hold on to one another just as strongly, just as fiercely as Jesus holds on to each one of us. And you and I, we have experienced that unity. We have experienced that oneness. Even if sometimes we forget. I was 11 years old and I was spending the night at Peter Wilson's house. Peter and I had known each other our whole lives and we, we had spent just hours and hours together. And, and we kind of had this friendly rivalry constantly going between us. You know, we would argue all the time about which cars and movies and sports cars were the best. And I can't think of a time we ever really agreed on, on any of that. And, and yet we would find new topics that we could talk about. And, and usually we just honestly would end up at two different places. But, but we didn't just have those kinds of arguments and we didn't just have that rivalry. We just enjoyed being together and, and trying to work through those differences. And, and so this, this night I was spending the night and we were not just having those kinds of conversations. We were telling jokes and making each other laugh. And we got to the place where we'd, we were laughing so loud. Peter's dad finally came in and said, look, it, it's time for you guys to wind it down here and get a little quieter so that you can start to get some rest and, and the rest of the house can get some rest. And and so we did. We got quieter, and I, I went ahead and, and got on a sleeping bag on the floor. Peter was in his bed, and we were both kind of looking up at the ceiling. And we just started talking. And, and Peter, he, he said, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about what I want to do when I grow up. And I, I feel like I, I love music, and I love singing and, and Peter already at 11 years old was, was getting opportunities to sing and perform. And, and he said, you know, I just would love it if I was able to use those gifts that God has given me in the church. I would love to be able to lead people in worship and, and lead them closer to the heart of God. And, and then he said to me, what, what do you want to be when you grow up, Jared? And I was already living with this growing sense that I wanted to be a preacher, but I didn't know how to really be brave enough to admit it to anybody. And, and, and yet because Peter had already opened up and, and shared his dreams for his future with me, when he asked me that night, I admitted, I felt like I, I wanted to be a, a preacher. I wanted to be a, a minister in, in the church. And so then we, we just started talking about what, what could happen in the future, how God could use us in the future. And Peter started, started talking about how God could use us together. And maybe we'd have this opportunity to work in a, a church together. And he would lead people in song. And I would lead people closer to God's word. And, and when we started talking about all of these different things that we hoped would happen. We were interrupting each other, just more and more excitement and anticipation. And we finally got to the place where we, we really ran out of words. We, we couldn't talk about all of, of the things we were feeling. 
And yet as I, I laid there, staring up at the ceiling, and as we fell into silence, I, I had this overwhelming sense that even though we didn't have the words for it, Peter and I knew exactly what the other was thinking, that we were having the same kinds of thoughts, we were experiencing the same feelings. And in that moment, it was like our, our souls reached out and touched. I was 15 years old, and I had been invited over uh, to, to this lady's house. Her name was Clella Steele. We, we had gone to church together for a number of years. Clella was close friends with my parents, but I had never spent a lot of time with her. Uh, she, she was a, a lot older than me, and she was older than my parents, but, but she was someone who had always been kind to me and, and treated me in many ways like a, a spiritual grandmother. And yet we just didn't really have a lot in common. But she asked me to come over and, and she, you know, the, the way her invitation started was that she was thinking about uh, baking some cookies. And would I like to have some warm, freshly baked cookies, you know, chocolate chips, all of it melting. And of course, I was going to agree to do that. When I got over there, I found out that the cookies weren't really the reason I was there. They weren't the main event. They got me there. They weren't why I was there. She wanted to share a sermon with me. And she had, had talked to my dad and, and she knew that I was wanting as I got older to, to, to be a preacher. And so she said, you know, Jared, I, I want to share this sermon with you. It's, it's by a, a, my favorite preacher. His name's Fred Craddock. And this is my favorite sermon uh, that he's ever preached that I've ever heard. And I, I just, I want you to hear it. And, and the way that she talked about it, you know, it was like when somebody starts to share a song with you or, you know, maybe a film with you or, or a, a book with you. And it has meant so much to them. You can tell that if you don't end up loving it as much as they love it, it's, it's going to be a little bit awkward. And so, you know, I was sitting there with, with my warm cookies and a, and a tall glass of cold milk and she puts this video in and, and I watched this a small elderly gentleman walk up to a pulpit and start to preach. And there's, there's nothing striking about him. There's nothing immediately that's grabbing my attention. I start to worry because I think, I don't know if I'm going to respond well enough to this. And am I going to hurt Clella's feelings? And then suddenly, as Fred Craddock starts to preach, he just draws me in. And, and he's preaching about communion and the miracle of, of how God is able to knit our lives together as we gather around the Lord's table. But, he, but he's not just explaining it, he's helping me experience it. And by the time we got to the end of that sermon, I just wasn't prepared for how I was going to be drawn in and how in 30 minutes I was going to be changed. I, I have, fr from that moment on, I have never seen communion the same way. And so the sermon was over and she took the videotape out and she turned to me and Clella just started to share her own sense of what that sermon was about and, and what it meant to her. And every single word she said, it was like a word she was pulling out of my heart. I could have said those same exact words. And in that moment, it was like our souls reached out and touched. I was 28 years old. I was standing in in my kitchen, in, in a house that, that Lauren and I were, were living in at the time. And, and standing in that kitchen with me was a man named Don White. He was an elder at the church where I, I had just started preaching just a few months earlier. And 
And what you need to know about Don is that Don was there to, to help me do some things in the kitchen, to, to work on the backsplash and the counter and things that I could never do on my own. But he was wanting to find a way to serve and to help. But Don was an elder at that church. Years earlier, he had been the preacher at that church. For a number of reasons, he'd had to get out of a life of full-time ministry and he'd gone into the, the construction industry. But when I first accepted that preaching job and I got to the congregation and I figured out that one of the elders had been not just a preacher, but he had been the preacher of that church years earlier and he had never left, I was immediately filled with anxiety and trepidation because I had had experiences with other ex-ministers before and they hadn't always gone well. In fact, most of those, those former ministers, as soon as they would introduce themselves to me, they'd have a long list of all the ways that they didn't really agree with what I was trying to do or they assumed they knew what I was trying to do and I was falling short or they were second-guessing me at every turn. And, and you know, they just felt like they, they knew how to do my job and often sometimes they felt like they knew how to do my job better than I did. So when I found out that that Don was still there, I was really nervous. But see, Don, he made a decision. He made the decision before we, we even got there that he wanted to support me, that he wanted to be there for me, that he wanted to help me no matter what. So there we are in the kitchen and, and we're trying to work on some things and, and I'm basically trying not to get in Don's way or mess anything up. And he just casually brings up a conversation and he says to me, Jared, you know, I, I've been watching you and I, I, have, I have a concern. And, and the moment he said that, my heart started to sink because I thought, okay, here he's going to start talking about my preaching and how he would do it differently or, or maybe he's, he's going to, you know, talk about something else that I'm, I'm trying to accomplish in my ministry that he doesn't agree with. And and it's going to be messy because he's not just, you know, the former preacher. He's also my elder, one of my elders. And he, how's this all going to turn out? And what Don said next, I'll never forget. He said, Jared, I, I feel like you need to make sure that, that you have a bigger life than just your, your life of ministry. And when I, I look at you, Jared, I can't figure out you know, I don't see if you have, that you have a hobby. I don't see that you have any pursuits outside of ministry that could be life-giving to you, that, that, could, that could help you feel good about things, even if things aren't going perfectly at church. And I admit it, I, I didn't have a lot of hobbies I could think of. I didn't have a lot of things going on in my life outside of what I was trying to accomplish at church. And he said, you know, my, my concern with that, Jared, is you've got to figure out a way how to separate your sense of how well your last sermon went from how much this church family loves you and cares about you. He said, Jared, you, you mean a lot more to me than your job performance. And I would be your friend even if you weren't my minister. And I need you to know that. I need you to, to believe it, to trust that it's true. And then he, he extended his hand to me. I mean, he had locked eyes with me as he was talking to me, but then he extended his hand to me and as I reached out to shake it, it was like our, our souls reached out and touched. When Jesus is praying about us, when he asks God to help us be one, I don't think he's just talking about us 
you know, finding ways to just barely tolerate one another. I don't think Jesus was, was asking God to help us be civil to one another through clenched teeth and a forced smile. I, I don't think Jesus was in that prayer hoping that God would help us learn how to settle for not destroying one another when we disagree. I think when Jesus asks God in his prayer to help us be one, he's asking for God to help us have these experiences, these moments where our souls reach out and touch. I think Jesus is hoping that God will help us have these experiences where our spirit finds the courage to take the risk to open up and embrace someone who who may not always perfectly agree with us or who at some point may make a decision differently from us that that we would have relationships that are not based on us always getting along perfectly and, and seeing eye to eye, but that we would have this spiritual relationship that God makes possible through Jesus that's a blessing. It's this peace-fueled oneness, this unconditional connectedness that we don't create as much as we honor. We don't create it as much as we receive it. And the real threat in all this is not so much that you and I have to figure out how to get to that peace on our own. It's that you and I have to figure out how to make sure we're not getting in the way of God's peace. Too often, I make decisions. I do things. I I enter into conversations. I I have interactions with people where, if I'm honest, I think I'm the one who's accidentally getting in the way of God's peace, pouring into my life and through my life, pouring into the life of somebody else. God, our our Father, hears Jesus' prayer. And And I hope that what we understand in all this is that Jesus isn't just hoping that we'll find a way to that kind of of sacred divine peace when it's easy. But Jesus is actually praying that we'll find our way to that sacred divine peace when it almost seems impossible to us. Because with God, our Father, Jesus is convinced all things are possible. And we have to wrestle with whether or not we believe that, whether or not we're convinced of it. And if we are, if we, if we believe that with God all things are possible, then with, with God, peace is possible. And it's high time for us to start living like we believe that truth. You know, as this Advent season unfolds and as we continue to focus on this reality of all the wonderful gifts that come pouring, rushing into our lives because of the gift of Jesus Christ. May we embrace the gift of peace that comes from heaven. This this peace that comes to us, that that we have to make a decision to receive it, to to be a part of it. And, and, And the peace that Christ makes possible when it seems impossible it's it's not just something that we're supposed to experience it's it's supposed to start to to shape us right it's a peace it it's it's not just something we feel but it's it's who we are it's who we're becoming because of Christ it's who we're turning into because of Christ 
And so may we find ways to live as, as people of peace in a world that if we're honest and we, and we look at the state of the world, doesn't it, it always seems to me like we're right on the edge, like we're right on the verge of, of everything falling apart. That we're going to be different. That we're going to live in a different way that, that shows people that, that even if they, they've never seen it before, they can see it through us. Jesus prays for us, brothers and sisters, and, and we get to overhear that prayer because of John chapter 17. And I want the words of Jesus' prayer to find a home inside of us, to give us the courage to fight. Not, not to fight people from the other side, whatever that may mean for us, right? But but to fight the temptation that we have so often to attack instead of to embrace, right? To find the courage to, to fight the temptation we have so often to, to speak words of condemnation when we disagree instead of trying to speak words of welcome even when we disagree, to, to fight the temptation that the instinct that we have at times to, to run away when things get difficult in our relationships instead of finding, like Christ, the courage to always run towards. The world is watching. We've got to show people a different way, a better way, a way of peace. And as I think about Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, and I think about his prayer request, what I, I want us to live with in the coming days of this week is, is this question. If you and I have the opportunity to join with God, to partner with God in helping Jesus' prayer requests come true, why would we let anything stand in the way of that? Why would we ever stand in the way of that? If we have an opportunity to help Jesus' prayer request for us come true in us, why would we ever give up? Why, why would we ever walk away from that invitation? I'm telling you, there's going to be an opportunity. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe the next day. But I promise you, in the next seven days, you're going to have an opportunity to choose peace when it's difficult, when it, when it feels just about impossible. And I'm begging you, when that opportunity opens up, find a way to help make Jesus' prayer request come true. We're going to sing together, together now. And, and as we do, I, just, I hope that we're able to, to not only listen to the words of this song, but to commit to the words of this song, to, to be people who not only experience the salvation of God, that salvation that knits us together again, but, but that we would help other people, that we would help everyone in this world experience the goodness and the peace that that salvation can bring. Let's sing together now.